do after I, after you find out you're okay, then I would laugh. She fell down in her sensitive class. Oh, for sure. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. We uh, welcome everyone here. We welcome our guests especially. You're uh, very important to us. We're glad that you're here and hope that God's going to bless you in a very special way today. We'd like to invite everyone to uh, sign our attendance sheets on each row. We'd like to have a, a record of your attendance with us this morning. If you wouldn't mind doing that, we would certainly appreciate it. Uh, we also have a few announcements I'd like to call to your attention. First of all, our, our Hoops and Cheers uh, basketball and cheerleading program is fully underway now. We had our first games uh, yesterday, and I think I can report that it was a great success. It was a, Everything went smoothly, so we thank everybody for your volunteer hours and time and, and support of that. And uh, we, we will be doing this each Saturday between now and Thanksgiving, so uh, thank you for, for your dedication to that. And if you would like to help in that in any way, I bet you we could put you to work. So uh, we, we would appreciate that. Speaking of which, uh, we've got some other volunteer opportunities on August. The, uh, August, no. This is October, isn't it? It was when you woke up. A couple of months behind it. October the 31st, uh, as we do each year, we have our Harvest Fest, our Fall Festival. And, uh, and that's always a big time. We will have hundreds of people here that night and serve chili and, and have games going on and, and, uh, and just have a great time. So uh, we need some help with that. And if you would like to uh, volunteer to help with, uh, with fixing food and serving food, please see Lana. And if you'd like to volunteer uh, to help uh, with, with the games, please see uh, Kim Hall or Teresa Steele. And we will be glad to put you to work with that as well. And uh, this Wednesday, we will be having a special choir practice, right? Special choir practice. Oh, by the way, welcome home. We, we've got the, the... The Belchers have been away for an extended vacation, and it's wonderful that they were, they were able to do that. Uh, you were missed, and, and we welcome you back home. Thank you. Uh, for, thank you for coming back. <laughs> Uh, but, but, but we will be having a special choir practice on uh, Wednesday night at 6.30, right? 6.30 to 8.30. To 8.30. We, we will be combining with two other churches? Yeah. Well, the other one hasn't got back yet. Okay, so we, we're going to be combining with a couple other churches and maybe another one added in. Um, uh, we're we're going to do a special Christmas program uh, with a combined choir from these, uh, from these churches. And uh, so... This Wednesday is kind of kicking off the practice of those of the of, of that program. So I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be really good. So, um, uh, so if you're part of the choir, then come and, and join them on Wednesday night. And those of us who are not, 
we'll be over here um, doing our Bible study like we normally do. Now, I need some volunteers. You know what we're going to do here? Come on, need need some volunteers. Jesse, need some more. Take the long one. Y'all know what you're doing here. Short one needs to come over over here. Let me see what end we got here. That's forty one. Okay. I tell you what. Let's. Uh, well, actually, we we can start there. That'd be fine. Right, right at the end where where why it is. We'll kind of here you go right here, and you hold it and stretch it out right here, and you will see. Uh, as, as you've seen us do this before, this is a demonstration of our uh, debt reduction campaign. It's time to cut another link from our unleashed debt reduction chain. We have two chains here. The long chain represents the total debt that we uh, incurred when we built this building 20 years ago. And uh, that was $1.2 million. And it's amazing. And... It took us about 20 years to pay this much off from there to here. We started right here uh, in February of 2016. We owed this much on our debt, which was right at $600,000. And at that time, we started uh, a concentrated effort to pay off our debt. And this was our starting point. And as of the end of, end of uh, September, our balance now is $404,000. That means we're going we're to cut our 19th link off of this chain. Have you noticed this thing just bit by bit is getting smaller? It's getting shorter, bit by bit, and we're going to cut. <laughs> we're going to cut our 19th link from that, and each one of these links represents ten thousand dollars. So that means that since we started here in February of last year, we have paid over a hundred and ninety thousand dollars towards our debt. It's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. We've got 40 of these left. 40 of these left to cut. We're getting there, folks. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your dedication and your commitment to make this happen. One of these days, we won't have a chain, and that'll be wonderful, won't it? Thank you. Let's stand and greet each other in the name of the Lord. Thank you, guys. Good job.
Let us pray together. Oh God, we do give you all thanks and praise. For you have made us your own children through Jesus Christ our Lord. You have given us a new righteousness based on nothing that we have done for ourselves, but rather based purely and simply on our faith and what you have done for us. And we are grateful. You, you created the entire universe. The sky itself tells of your glory. The sun and the moon, the clouds and the stars, the mountains and the lakes and the oceans and the rivers, they all reveal the genius of your ways. <clears throat> you brought your people out of slavery and gave, gave them your commandments so that they might be rich in spirit and clear in their vision. And even though we have repeatedly rejected your ways and destroyed your messengers, you sent your Son to us to remind us what your kingdom truly looks like. Even though the crowds recognized him as a prophet, those who wanted his inheritance seized him and killed him. But you would not let that be the last word. You raised him from the dead. And now through the power of his resurrection, he stands as the cornerstone of righteousness, the first fruits of the kingdom and the incomparable prize towards which we press ourselves. Therefore, with our hearts lifted high, we offer you thanks and praise, O God, at all times. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. I'm going to sit right there so that you all can sit around me and sit so you can sit around me and see what I'm reading. I'm going to stick this in my pocket. Can you see? Okay. Somebody want to come sit next to me? I promise I won't bite or anything. I took a shower this morning and everything. Put on baby powder and perfume. Um, you all probably have seen this book. Have you all seen this book? The Alexander and the t Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Y'all read this book? I love this book because, you know, it can describe me so many days. Here's Alexander, and he says, I went to sleep with gum in my hair, with gum in my mouth, and, and now there's gum in my hair when I got up out of bed this morning. I tripped on the skateboard, and by mistake, I dropped my sweater in the sink, and the water was running, and I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. At breakfast, Anthony found the Corvette Stingray car kit in the breakfast cereal box, and Nick found a junior undercover agent code ring in his cereal box, but in my breakfast cereal box, all I found was breakfast cereal. I think I'll go to Australia. In the carpool, Miss Gibson let Becky have the seat by the window, and Audrey and Elliot got seats by the window, too. And I said I was being scrunched, and I said I was being smushed, 
I got car sick. No one even answered. I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. At school, Mrs. Dixon liked Paul's picture of the sailboat better than my picture of the invisible castle. At, at singing time, she said I sang too loud. And at counting time, she said I left out 16. Who needs 16? I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. I could tell because Paul and I, uh, I could tell because Paul said I wasn't his best friend anymore. He said that Philip Parker was his best friend and that Albert Morio was his next best friend and that I was only his third best friend. I hope you sit on attack, I said to Paul. I hope the next time you get a double-decker strawberry ice cream cone in the ice cream park falls off the cone and lands in Australia. There were two cupcakes in Philip Parker's lunch bag, and Albert got a Hershey bar with almonds, and Paul's mother gave him a piece of jelly roll that had little coconut sprinkles on the top. Guess whose mother forgot to put dessert in the lunch bag? It was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And that's, what it, and that's what it was, because after school, my mom took us all to the dentist. <laughs> Ooh. And Dr. Fields found the cavity in just me. Come back next week and I'll fix it, said Dr. Fields. Next week, I said, I'm going to Australia. <laughs> Don't blame him. On the way downstairs, the elevator door closed on my foot while we were waiting for my mom to go get the car, and Anthony made me fall where it was muddy, and then when I started crying because of the mud, Nick said I was a crybaby. While I was punching Nick for calling me a crybaby, my mom came back with the car and scolded me for being muddy and fighting. I'm having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. I told everybody, but nobody would listen. So when we got to the shoe store to buy some sneakers, Anthony chose the white ones with the blue stripes. Nick chose the um, Nick chose the red ones with the white stripes. I chose the blue ones with the red stripes. But then the shoe man said they were all sold out. They made me buy the plain white ones, but they couldn't make me wear them. When we picked up my dad at his office, he said I couldn't play with his copying machine, but I forgot. He also said to watch out for the books on his desk, and I was careful as I could be except for my elbow. He also said don't fool around with his phone. I think I called Australia. (laughs) My dad said please don't pick him up anymore. It was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And then there were lima beans for dinner. I hate lima beans. Then there was kissing on TV. I hate kissing. My bath was too hot. I got soap in my eyes. My marbles went down the drain, and I had to wear my railroad pajamas. I hate my railroad train pajamas. When I went to to bed, Nick took the pillow back. He said I could keep, and Mickey Mouse nightlight burned that out, and, and I bit my tongue. The cat wants to sleep with Anthony and not with me. It's a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Mom said some days are like that, even in Australia. (laughs) There are days when we think what we're doing is the right thing until somebody comes along and tells us it isn't. There are days when we think that there are people we like and who like us, and we learn that they might not. And no matter how hard we try, it will feel like others are getting all the good stuff, and we're not. But here's the thing. We're going to learn today that Jesus went through the exact same things. Jesus got rejected just like times when we get rejected. But here's the cool thing about Jesus. 
Jesus promises to never leave us, ever, ever, ever. Jesus will never leave us. And when we're going through terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days, and we're feeling rejected, Jesus has been there, and Jesus will be there with us. And you know what? When people go through the same thing I'm going through, and they, and they are my friends, it makes me feel better. Doesn't it? You know, if somebody knows what you're going through, and they, are, and, and they come and they sit with you, it just makes me feel better. Jesus knows what it's like to have a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day and feel rejection. And Jesus will always be with you. The other thing is, this church will too. So if you ever have a horrible, terrible, no good, very bad day, this church will be there with you. Amen.
Heavenly Father, thank you for this church family. We pray, we praise your, we pray you knew with these offerings to do you well. We know you are provider of all things. And we thank you for forgive us where we fail you and open our hearts and mind to your word today. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Good morning. It's been a while. <laughs> See, thank you. Uh, we'll be reading from Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 through 46. Here another parable. There was a man that was a householder who was pl- who planted a vineyard and set a hedge about it and digged a wine press in it and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into another country. And when the season of the fruits drew near, he sent his servants up to the husbandmen to receive his fruits. And the husbandmen took his servants and beat one, and killed one another, and stoned one another. Again, he sent the other servants more than the first, and they did unto him in like that manner. 
But afterward, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But the husbandmen, when they saw the son, said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and take his inheritance. And they took him and cast him forth out to the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the Lord of the vineyard shall come, what will he do unto those husbandmen? They say unto him, He will miserably destroy those miserable men, and will let out the vineyard uh, unto other husbandmen, who shall render him the fruits in, in their seasons. Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read the scriptures, the stone which builders rejected, the same that was made the head of the corner? This was from the Lord, and it was marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken away from you, and shall be given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. And he, he that falleth on this stone shall be broken into pieces. But on whomever, whoever soever it shall fall, it will scatter him as dust. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard the, the, his parables, they perceived that he spake of them. And when when they sought to lay hold on him, they feared the multitudes because they took him for a prophet. I'm Joy Powell Hope, and I would like to sing a unique arrangement of Softly and Tenderly, the old hymn. But it's not going to sound necessarily like that. Oh, 
Wow, I gotta follow that. <laughs> you know, thank you, Joy. Thank you so much. Um, you know, sometimes in our lives we don't feel like we have a home because of things that we may be facing in our lives. We may be facing rejection and being hassled and harassed from all all sides, but. With Jesus, we are home. Wherever Jesus is, we are home, aren't we? And Jesus bids us to come home. So thank you for reminding us of that. And by the way, Austria may have the Van Trapp family, but we got the Powell family. (laughs) Um, How many of you have ever felt the pain of rejection? Yeah, most of us have. It's no fun, is it? It's it's not fun at all. There's there's no pain that's probably more familiar to many of us than the the pain of rejection. We and and we especially remember those those terrible awkward younger years when we were searching for our identity and acceptance by our peers was so important to us, especially during those teenage years. One comedian was talking about his attempts to land a date during his teenage years, and and that could be a very scary proposition. He says, I never was very good at this romance thing. It's true. I remember my teenage years. We used to play spin the bottle. And the way we played it was the girl would spin the bottle, and if the bottle stopped on you, the girl could either kiss you or give you a quarter. And by the time I was 15, I had enough quarters to buy my first car. (laughs) He said, I I, I think this may be Rodney Dangerfield. I'm not sure, but it sure sounds like him. He said, I remember my first date. I wanted to play it safe. So I asked a rather plain girl out. After all, I didn't want her to say no. And I got ready to kiss her goodnight, and she took her glasses off, and I was startled. I said, without your glasses, you're beautiful. And she said, without my glasses, you're not so bad either. (laughs) And he continued and said, I'm not a quitter, though. I finally asked the most popular girl out in school and and, uh, in school out. And, and, you know, she 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 didn't say no at all. She said, you've got to be kidding You know, we laugh at at these awkward situations, but unfortunately, they may seem to be a little too close to home for some of us. And the fact is that rejection hurts, and it's no laughing matter, really. Whether it's being rejected by someone that we're interested in dating or or being the last person chosen for a ball team or or standing on the sidelines watching another girl being crowned homecoming queen, most of us know what it feels like to be on the outside looking in. But perhaps it may help us, as we've already seen today. What a great children's sermon. We've had those days, haven't we? But we, it helps us to, to know that other people have been in that same position. Other people have been where we are. Almost everyone is rejected sooner or later. Even some of our biggest movie stars tell us about being rejected. Veteran uh, talent agent Robert Littman tells about how he once rejected a young would-be actor named Jack Nicholson. Nicholson wanted to try out for some parts on the TV uh, programs The Virginian and, and Bonanza. You remember those shows? So Nicholson asked for Littman's help to get him a, an audition, and Littman turned, turned him down. In fact, he, he discouraged Nicholson from acting at all. He told him that he thought that, that directing was a sensible job and writing was an accomplishment, but, but acting in his estimation was a lifetime of rejection. And so Littman told Nicholson that he wouldn't be a party to such lunacy as that. And so Nicholson said, if you don't represent me, I'm going to go with the Mars agency. And he did. 
And the rest, as they say, is history. Littman says that when Nicholson won his Academy Award for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, he went up to accept his Oscar and he said, I want to thank that agent who many years ago advised me not to become an actor. And Littman said, thank God he didn't mention my name. <laughs> Littman also admits that during his career of 25 years, he turned down the Beatles. Jack Nicholson, the Beatles. You getting the pattern here? Rejection is a part of life for everybody, even Jack Nicholson, even the Beatles, even for the best of us. But somehow that knowledge doesn't seem to lessen the blow, does it? And it doesn't matter how talented we may be or how intelligent we may be or how dedicated we may be, we will all at some point in our lives be rejected. And it hurts. Sometimes it shatters. And occasionally it kills. Jesus knew what it was like to be rejected. He was misunderstood by his own family. They thought he was crazy. He was thrown out of town by his own townspeople. He was crucified by his own nation and particularly the religious leaders of the religion in which he was nurtured. So you see, Jesus knew what it was like to be on the outside looking in. He knew what it was like to be rejected by others. Well, our lesson for today deals with that very same thing. Jesus was speaking to the chief priests and the Pharisees, and he told them this parable. He said there was a landowner who planted a vineyard. <clears throat> he put up a wall around it and dug a wine press. He built a tower, and then he rented the vineyard out to some, some tenants and moved on to another country. When harvest time approached, he sent his servants to collect his share of the fruit, but the tenants seized the servants and beat one of them and killed another one and stoned a third. And so he sent more servants to them, more than the first time, and they did the same thing to them that they did with the first servants. And so finally he sent his son. Surely they will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son... They said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and we can take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. And then the chief priests, and then Jesus asked the chief priests and the Pharisees, when the owner comes to the vineyard, what will he do to those tenants? And they replied, he will bring those wretches to a miserable end. He will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the produce at harvest time. And Jesus said to the chief priests and the Pharisees, Have you never read the Scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Well, of course, of course, the chief priests and the Pharisees had read this. I mean, after all, they were considered to be the biblical scholars of their day. And it's, a, it's in the book of Psalms, chapter 18, verses, uh, verse 22 and 23. But here's what disturbed them. You see, they were not only familiar with this verse of Scripture, but they also knew that from this parable that, they, that Jesus was talking about them. And so they began to devise a plan to get rid of Jesus. He was a threat to them. They had to get rid of him. They rejected him. There are not many Bible verses that are quoted several times in other parts of the Scriptures, but this is one of them. Simon Peter quoted these same words to the rulers and the elders in Acts 4, verse 11, when he said, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Later on, Peter would cite those words once again in 1 Peter 2, verse 7, when he said, Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. This stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, 
the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is an important message. Jesus, the stone that was rejected, has become the chief cornerstone. Jesus, who was once rejected, now reigns at the right hand of God. And what we need to realize today is that the same Jesus can help us when we feel rejected. In fact, Christ was rejected so that we might be reconciled to God. And because He knows what it's like to be rejected, He can help us with our feelings of hurt and despair when we're rejected. So how do we deal with these feelings of rejection? Let's think about that for a few moments moments while I suggest a, a couple of thoughts. First of all, when, when we're rejected because of some stand that we're taking, we shouldn't give up the fight. And I know that's a temptation. You know, that, that's that human nature, the fight or flight temptation. And, and when somebody confronts us and, and, and rejects us in some way, it, it, it's human nature either to lash out at that person or to run away. I don't think we ought to do either, necessarily. Especially if we're standing up for something we believe. We don't drop out of the race. We don't crawl off and hide under a rock somewhere. We remember people like the Apostle Paul who, who also knew what it was like to be rejected. And in spite of all of the rejection that he faced, listen to what he wrote. He said, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He was going to press on no matter what. You know where he was when he wrote those words? He was in a prison cell because the people rejected his message. My friends, it is so easy for us to allow rejection to defeat us. Please don't. King Duncan tells about a remarkable young woman from Jamaica who felt a, a deep connection to these, these verses about Christ's rejection. And here's what she said to him. She said, I am the second child of my mother. And when she gave birth to me, she decided that she didn't want me. So just like Moses was placed in a basket and sent down the river, I was placed under a plum tree in front of my, my father's house. A lady was passing by and told my paternal grandmother that I was outside under the tree. And so my father came and got me. And his house became my house for 22 years. I grew up with him and my grandmother. And she says, now fast forward to 24 years later, and by this time I had graduated from the university with two degrees. I was the chief financial officer of a major company. I was a well-known Christian woman who was recognized for her philanthropy. In other words, I was doing pretty well for myself in spite of the fact that I grew up all of those years believing that I was my mother's reject. I reconnected with my mother at a seminar. She sought me out. By now, she had seven children, nowhere to live, no job, no food to give them. And so that's why she sought me out. Short version is, I bought her a piece of property and built a house on it. I found her a job. I moved my youngest brother in with me so that I could mentor him. Today, he's in his third year of law school. She continued by saying, The statement made about Jesus being the head cornerstone, the redemptive blood of my Savior, and my relationship with him, that's what helped me to forgive my mother. And that's what made it easier for me to become the head cornerstone in her life. She rejected me and gave me away. 
And years later, I was the one that she needed. What a magnificent testimony. One who was rejected became the cornerstone for others, particularly her family. Now, it hurts to be rejected, doesn't it? It hurts to be rejected whether you're seven years old or 77 years old, whether it's by your peers or by your own family. It hurts. But there's a man hanging on a tree who says to us, I saw so much possibility in you that I gave my life for you. So don't give up. I know you may be hurting, but your rejection will not defeat you if you will hold steady to your course and trust in God. So when we're rejected, don't give up. Instead, allow Jesus to use your rejection to help, to help us grow into maturity and to help us to be better ministers to other people who also have been, been rejected. Now, we may question why it, why it was that Christ had to suffer and die, and I do that all the time. I question, I, and I can't, I really don't know a good answer for it, but it's something we struggle with. And why, why did he have to be born in a stable in a podunk town that hardly anybody knew about, knew, ever heard of before? Why couldn't he be born in a palace and establish his kingdom by royal decree? That would have been a whole lot easier, wouldn't it? And a whole lot less painful. But God knew what God was doing because Christ's entire life was defined by rejection. He was rejected by his family. He was rejected by his community. He was rejected by his nation. He was rejected by the leaders of his religion. However, if he had not been rejected as he was, how could he minister to us in our times of rejection? If he did not confront life's most heartbreaking difficulties and disappointments, then how could he help us as we pass through life's heartbreaks and disappointments? It happened all the time. Remember when Jesus came into the vicinity of a leper one day and the man called out, Depart from me, unclean! You see, a leper was... Required to do that when, when other people were approaching. Because a leper was forbidden to come into contact with other people. It was against the law. This man's entire life was a life of rejection. The man's body was covered with decaying flesh and, and, and running sores. It was a terrible sight to see. And Jesus came into his vicinity and the man said, Unclean, depart from me. And what did Jesus do? The stone that had been rejected, what did he do? Moved by compassion in his heart, he reached out his hand and touched that grotesque figure and made him whole again. The rabbis had a saying that when the Messiah comes, he will be found sitting among the lepers at the city gate. That saying was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, wasn't it? Jesus was a wounded healer. And you know what? Those of us who have been wounded, and I saw a show of hands a minute ago, that's all of us. Those of us who have been wounded, guess what? We are also called to be wounded healers. By his wounds, we were healed. And it was precisely because he was wounded that he could reach out to us. And we are to do the same. Author Robert Morgan tells us something interesting about Michelangelo's statue of David. Um, my family and I were privileged to be able to see this magnificent piece of work a number of years ago in the Academy Museum in Florence, Italy. And I have to say, it, it is one of the most impressive things I have ever seen in my life. It is tremendous. 
And as you probably know, the, the, the statue of David is a, an enormous piece of art. Morgan says that it was carved from a block of marble 18 feet high. However, what you may not know is that Michelangelo was not the first person to try to carve a statue from that piece of marble. Apparently, earlier, artist, an artist named Augustino de Duccio, or something like that, he selected that exact huge block of, of, of stone 40 years before Michelangelo got a hold of it. And he began sculpting a statue of either David or some of one, one of the Old Testament prophets. But Deduccio gave up his efforts when he discovered how difficult it was. You see, that particular piece of marble was thin and kind of misshapen. He said, I can't do anything with it. So he gave up. It was that same block of marble that Michelangelo used to create the magnificent, awe-inspiring statue of David. Quite literally, Michelangelo took a stone that had been rejected and with his superior skill carved the statue of David that has thrilled people for over 500 years now. Christ was despised, rejected for our sakes. And yet the very stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Maybe I'm not talking to you this morning. Perhaps you've never been rejected. Perhaps you've never been wounded like that. And, and in, a, in a way, that would be a wonderful thing. But it, also in another way, it might, I think it would be sad. Because that would mean that you have never known what it was like to feel the ministering touch of a man who was also rejected. And you are also at a great disadvantage to ministering to others <clears throat> if you've never been rejected. On the other hand, there are some of you for whom the pain of rejection is all too real. And my word for you this morning is this. Hang in there. Hang in there. There's a man with nail prints in his hands and his feet who says to you that it really does matter that you keep going. And remember, there are those who need you to be their wounded healer, just as Christ was a healer to, to you. As Mary said a minute ago, when it's an awful day, whatever that long phrase is, awful, terrible, miserable day, when you feel like the world is caving in around you, when you are the object of much rejection, guess what? Jesus is with you, and he knows what you're going through, and the people here in this room do as well, and that's why we're here, and that's why we are family, that's why we are church. That's what God has done to draw us together so that we can be the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God looks out for each other. Amen. Let us sing together. Guide my feet, Lord. 637. And that is our prayer that God would guide our feet. That we might be the kingdom that God wants us to be.
praise and prayer from this place and into our daily lives. May our lives be sustained through the love of our God. May we feel the presence of our Savior walking beside us. And may we know the power of the Spirit in both our actions and in our words. Amen.